I warned you um, a little bit last week that we would be having an occasional workshop type of night. This is one of those nights. Came early. It's not the only one. There'll be at least one more, if not two more. Uh, and so I'm going to expect a lot of participation tonight. And so if I have to stand up here and just be quiet till that happens, I, it'll, it, it'll transpire. Tonight we really want to... Um, as we talk about sharing the gospel in the end times and the circumstances that we are encountering that are unique to those times, and uh, not, not unique in the sense that it's never been that way in certain places, but it's been largely localized. Whereas now we have this really uh, throughout the earth and on a scale and a level that we really haven't seen uh, since at least the flood, I would contend. Um, certainly there were times when uh, the number of the redeemed were very small on the earth. Um, there were times in the dark ages where it seemed like maybe we lost the truth, uh, but God was faithful. Uh, but obviously the Bible declares that in the end times men's hearts will grow cold and, and their love for one another, love period, will grow cold, uh, that their hearts will grow hardened I should say, and certainly in preparation for what is to come uh, during the seven years of God's wrath where it says that God will send a great delusion that they will have to believe a lie. And so as we draw nearer and nearer to that point, we should anticipate that it's going to be more and more difficult to spread the truth. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that we are um, facing in this postmodern world that we currently reside in, even with all the dramatic things happening, we know that this is really upon us. And so before we can really talk about sharing the gospel in those settings, I think it's important to understand the, or to remind ourselves, I don't know that we don't know these things, but to remind ourselves, what are the essentials of evangelism? If we're going to share the gospel what are the essentials that, pe that need to be communicated? What has to go on in the process of someone coming to know Christ? And so we use certain illustrations from the scripture. For example, Jesus uses in parable the illustration of the sower, uh, sowing the seed as someone else comes and waters and then someone else gets a harvest. We have the different soils represented in that, in that parable. But the idea here uh, is drawn from the agricultural community uh, so we have those images, but what does that really entail? What is it that when I ask you to share the gospel with someone needs to transpire before they are ready to receive Christ as their Savior? Because that is essentially what evangelism is, is the distribution of the message of the gospel, <clears throat> the message of the cross of Christ uh, to those who are at some point on that scale. Either they've never heard his name or it is, they're ready to receive Christ and just need one more <laughs> uh, contact, one more approach, one last uh, uh, presentation that, they, that makes them ready to receive him, that makes them part of the harvest of Christ. And so what is it that we are sharing and what is necessary in that process of evangelism? And we don't necessarily need to put them in chronological order right away. 
we'll do that over the course of this, but I really want you to, what, to just present what would be entailed in your presentation of the gospel to someone. And we're going to be visiting these in order, in some semblance of order, what I would contend is the order uh, of someone going from never hearing Christ to receiving Christ as Savior. Okay? Uh, but what needs to transpire? What needs, needs to be communicated to people uh, for them to receive Christ? All right. I'm going to write what you were say, okay? <laughs> okay, what else? All right, the state of man. Oh, I thought that meant whether you were in New Mexico or Texas. Oh, oh. The state of man. And we're really, the condition, the man's, uh, all right, we're going to develop that. What else? Needs to be communicated. All right, and more than that, right? Okay, I'm going to put the sacrificial provision. Okay, that's why I hesitate to say God's love, God who? Who's God? At some point, you're dealing with someone who may not necessarily associate that there, or agree with you that there is a God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that element. That's going to be a, a, a several nights we're going to be talking about an area that deals with that directly. What else? Burial. All right. Why are we talking about Christ's burial? All right. And then what's going And so he was buried, and he rose again. Right? Do you have to understand the assumption to get saved? All right, so just as you're defining God, we're going to have to define man. Okay, hopefully, right, you, you're, trying, you're, you're, you're summarizing what's under these categories, two categories, you're just stating it in another way. What else do they need to know? Okay, our love? All right, what is required of them? So let's, let's break it down. Instead of just saying what is required, we'll break it down. We have big categories, and we broke it down. Da, 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 da. So what are we talking about? What is required of them? Okay, so they need to be, have, con be convicted. Believe. Somebody said repent somewhere, right? These are all really good, important theological words. They may not necessarily know what those words mean. All right, believe. We could say, use the word accept. I don't know why I just went to cursive. Sorry about that. Not my cursive. <laughs> I did not learn to cursive write in school. So we moved so frequently that when we moved from California to Minnesota, I completely missed cursive instruction. So I've made up my own cursive which made most of my teachers curse, really, for real. I must put example, which is your testimony. Well, say, what is else is going to be presented there in the gospel? Anything else? Hmm? All right, you haven't put Jesus on there at all. Some guy on the cross, was buried, rose again, and ascended. All right, so we need to identify who Jesus Christ is, correct? 
So I'm going to put it as a hyphenated Jesus. The historical person is an important part of the gospel message, and I'll explain that here in a little bit. Um, so this is a this is what you're going to do. You're going to try to do all this. How fast can you do this? Two and a half minutes. Okay. Now, what are you going to use to communicate all this? Okay. Obviously, we're talking about something that is a very broad activity. Somewhere in that broadness, somewhere in that process of coming to know Christ, uh, there needs to be some connection to the scriptures. Would you agree with that? Uh, They are able to make you wise unto salvation. That's what the Bible says about itself. And so we need to have, at some point, understanding that God has revealed himself. And I'm going to put Revelation here, not in terms of the book of Revelation. Revelation means that God has revealed himself, and so that is his word. The word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And that is the authority that transcends this authority of your testimony. Because I've had Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons give me their testimony too. Well, this worked for me for 40 years, and I'm sure it'll help you out. And I say, well, how has it worked for you exactly? Anything else? It's okay if that's sufficient. The Holy Spirit's part, that's, this is our evangelism, what we are going to be doing. You're going to ask Holy Spirit for help. What's that called? Do they need to pray? You can make to them their a prayer. This is our evangelism to them. Okay, we can put prayer there, and that's going to be next week's study, so I don't mind putting it on there because we're going to, Spend all of next week talking about it. And it's probably not going to be what you expect. There is going to be an element that you should expect, but there's going to be another element that you're probably not thinking of in terms of evangelism. Okay, in most evangelism programs, right, what he's referring to as most evangelism programs, you end up with a card or a little, and you have a little card that says, well, here's the sinner's prayer, and pray this card, pray this prayer. And um, so I'm gonna, we're, we're putting prayer here um, not as part of their salvation experience, but praying for Holy Spirit to convict, right? They have to receive it. We have that on there, right? We have accept. Accept and receive is the same. They're synonyms, right? No, they have to accept the gift. Okay, we need to isolate, right? Somehow we got to communicate that, it, and that really goes to the state of man as well, that uh, you cannot earn it, you, you're a sinner, you cannot undo sin, no matter how much good you do. It's not this, right? All right, so how many of these principles, let's just stop there for a little bit and take a little assessment now. How many of these principles are essentially disregarded or under full-blown attack uh, would be the worst situation um, in the communities in which you move and breathe during the, and work during the week? All of them. Okay. Now, is that something new? Relatively, yes. 
When Paul stands on Mars Hill, do they believe in God? They believe in lots of gods, sure. They understood divinity. Um, they were fine with a lot of what Paul says until he got to this resurrection thing. Right? Okay? And so, it, when we talk about the whole concept of God's existence, that is something that's only really been challenged in, uh, in terms of actively challenged, probably the last 150 years on a wide scale. I'm not going to say there was never any one who denied God's existence in history, but in terms of as a condition of a large part of society, that's really only a recent phenomenon. Right? They either had their other gods, and, that, and it's maybe even less than 150 years. But certainly in the 1800s, we had it kind of res, starting to formulate and the whole notion was culminated, really, with that declaration, God is dead, movement. When was that? Anybody know? I was alive. Yeah, God is dead, movement that was out there. It really began in the 50s, but it really wasn't uh, out there and, and in the public spectrum for till 60s, 70s. So... Um, that's not true. The concept of these and the whole uh, notion of what is man and then the elevation of man outside of that and the whole notion of something that we haven't written on here, um, <laughs> maybe under the subcategory of conviction, what is right and wrong? That alone is under serious Challenge. Would you agree with that? Just the concept of what is right and wrong. And that's what prevents conviction. And so we are going to, so when we say, well, the conviction is the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why this really isn't your job is to convict them. But there is another C word that I use, which is confront. We confront them with their condition. We confront them with that. And we're going to be talking about how do we do that in a world that doesn't have right and wrong anymore. And, and we're going to engage in how do we address people whose consciences, they haven't been seared, they have been darkened. What's the difference? One is I have made a choice to go against my conscience. The other one is my conscience has never been awakened. It is kept in the dark. It is darkened. And we have that condition in, in many sense, in many places today that we're encountering where right and wrong isn't even on the radar. And we're going to be talking about how we're going to address that as a prevalent condition in our age, which wasn't there even a generation ago. Wasn't there. Yes? I, I, I wouldn't agree with you that that they don't believe in a God, not in terms of a personhood that you would necessarily, but to say that they don't have a, divi a divinity is, is not true, because there is a, 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 they do have a belief in a divinity. It's not necessarily a person as you would, but there's certainly that, that, uh, a divine principle that they would adhere to. 
Mm, no, they're, they're, they're seeking to achieve it, to acquire it, and so therefore it's outside of man. They're seeking to, to reach that place of, that's, that's really beyond man's grasp, if, if they're honest. And all the Buddhas through the time, their honesty is shown in their, in their <laughs> is subtle because it's really seen in contradicting their master, their Buddha. So, so you have the fat Buddha and the skinny Buddha, right? You guys know that, right? Well, that's, that's how we simplify down. There is the fat Buddha and the skinny Buddha. So which one do you want to serve? Because you see, the skinny Buddha came first, and he said, well, the way to enlightenment and all of this divine uh, elevation is through asceticism. And so you starve yourself, you injure your body, you walk around naked. Well, his students saw his whole life and saw that didn't work so well, so then they went to the other extreme. Well, it's indulging the body that's going to get you to this elevated. So that produced the skinny Buddha and the fat Buddha. So which one do you want to go through? Now, is there every extreme in between? Every shade? Yes, there are lots of shades because there's lots of Buddhas out there to follow after. But it's all after the same thing of ascending into this divine light kind of thing. And um, so I, I don't... I wouldn't contend that they don't believe in the divinity. Absolutely, right. Got to cover all your bases. <laughs> yes. And that's Hinduism. I mean, Hinduism is, is every, every way to divinity is, is valid. And that's why that you'll see the big, big boards with, you know, Muhammad and Jesus and, you know, the weird blue guy and all those guys all on there. So when we come to this, we recognize that we are not there to convict, we are there to confront them, but they need to be convicted, and part of our role is to confront them, and again, we're dealing with right and wrong. So the real force of what we're talking about tonight is to understand that when we are talking about these conditions of man, that many of these concepts, and many, not just the vocabulary, but the concepts presented here have become estranged from the, from the thoughtfulness of our society. First of all, there's very little thought in our society. Okay? And that is the whole goal and aspiration of most of our entertainment is to stop critical thinking. Okay? Um, because critical thinking that is evaluative uh, and even, I mean, when I was a young guy, I remember the commercial. It was Why Ask Why? Drink Bud Dry. I even know what product sold that, that thing. Stop asking why. What, are you going to make yourself miserable? Just drink more beer. Don't ask yourself those hard questions like why. Why am I here? Why is there evil? Don't ask hard questions. Just drink more beer. And so you have all of this um, whose entire purpose and focus is to, uh, that's why I use the term darken, to, to basically uh, disengage our minds from thinking about our circumstances and some of these principles. So we're trying to teach principles, and we might even just blurt them out. I'm not even talking about 
the, your vocabulary. That's an issue we're going to address along the way, and I'm going to try to keep changing your vocabulary to uh, so you say what you mean because they don't know what you mean many times. And I, I had lots of classes on that uh, 30 years ago. Okay, more than that, 35 years ago in seminary because uh, I was a missions major. I, I had many classes in cross-cultural communication, and, and so it's all about make sure you're communicating uh, the message, and the message isn't by what you mean by the words, but what the hearer means by those words. Okay, so we're going to address that a little bit, um, but what I am taking back farther even from that is that these very concepts are lost on many of those that you're going to be encountering. Now, that is not going to be true among what number of people? What group of peoples uh, are you not going to have the problem of these, of these principles being known to them and thought upon? Let's just widen it out. Religious people, okay? If they're following another, we're really, when I talk about these things being gone, it's the irreligious that have no religious bearing at all, and that's the way society wants it, and that's what we're encountering. That's what we're really seeing. And, and by religious, I'm not talking about those that go to mass, you know, once a year or twice a year because their parents drag them there. I'm talking about people who are generally uh, participating in other religions. And right now, if you're not familiar with what's going on, I've referenced it, I think, last week, uh, there is a huge movement among Muslims towards Christianity. Huge Millions a year are leaving the Muslim faith for Christianity. How is that happening? Are they familiar with these kinds of principles? Um, and, I, and I've seen the interviews, I've watched the interviews of different men involved in this process who are, who are ministering those areas, and they say, well, Allah isn't a God of love. And they know it. Okay, uh, but they understand man's condition. They understand that there is a need for someone, but even that is not bringing them. What is it that's doing this? And it's been doing it for as long as I have been a pastor. The, it is so consistent, I can't even begin to communicate to you how consistent it is from really strong Muslims coming to Christ. And it's not everyone, but it really happens a lot and it is through dreams. What part do you have a play in that? <laughs> Be ready to harvest them when they show up. Um, when they are, and this is, this is the scenario. They'll come up to a person um, that they know, or someone who has been identified as a clergy member or a participant in a certain church, that's Christian, and they'll come up, and this is the thing. I had a dream of someone who they understood to be Jesus, and he told me to seek you out. I've been reading those accounts for 20-some years from various stations. And right now, do you realize that in the country of Iran right now, almost all the how do they, the, what, what, what do they worship? Um, mosques. 
almost all of them are predominantly empty because they are reacting against the imams who are so evil and harsh and hard, and so they just don't go. That doesn't mean they've turned to Christ. It just means they are completely dissatisfied with Islam. And this is one of the strictest Muslim countries that it's on the, on the earth right now. And so, um, how do I engage with that? Well, um, we're going to be talking about prayer next week. That we, not, we should be praying for the lost. Uh, but we also uh, have to be identifiable. Right? Because Christ doesn't give them the name and address. He says, go talk to this person that you know. Which means that there was a person in their life that did have the truth and they knew them or they knew where to find them or how to get in touch with them. And sometimes it's just our presence. So we need to be in those places and in those circles so that they know who we are. And we're going to talk about that as part of our evangelism of, of being noted in the environments that we're placed, whether it be at the work, in our neighborhood, wherever it is that we are noted for our faith. So those who are ready can come. But we're really talking in terms of this specific study about those that um, don't have that context. The Judeo-Christian or the Muslim, the, the whole context of a, a faith that they were trained in and, or, and, and associated with that could understand many of these principles. Because what you're doing in the postmodern world is that's all been tossed out by their parents. That was under modernity. Now we're in postmodernity. So now the parents have tossed that out before them. And now we're in a period of time where they have not been instructed at all in these things. And it's uh, a condition that the Bible refers to as everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So it's not new on the earth. It was that condition before the flood. And localized, it was that condition of Israel before she went into captivity. But again, that was local, like I said, the only other time I could find where it is uh, broadly the condition was before the flood. And so we see all of these under attack. All right? That we are now having to back up and say, well, who is God? What is God? Is there a God? Prove it. God's Word, under attack, Revelation. Oh, it's just a book of fairy tales. I read that this week in a line of engagement that uh, saw, well, and there was one guy that just came in there, and was, you just are brainwashed by your book of fairy tales. Um, and that's being propagated extensively. Um, and, and usually those people, by the way, are not ignorant of God's Word. They're burned. They've been burned by some quote-unquote Christians and some other experience in church, and they're usually very knowledgeable of it. Um, but the whole idea there is being picked up by others. And so this whole idea of a sacrificial provision, if you don't think you have a need, why do you have to have a provision for that need? And so we can see this built upon it. Yes? And judgmental, yeah, don't judge my actions. And we're going to address that extensively. Uh, this is going to be... Um, two, three weeks down the road, um, but we're going to be getting, that's where we have to start. Yes? Correct. There is no moral, 
right and wrong because the parents aren't living any moral right and wrong. Yeah, it's somebody else's fault who has morals. Okay? Um, and, uh, and that's, again, that's not unusual. That, that's not... All of these things have been around. There's nothing new under the sun. But it's the pervasiveness of it that we're encountering. Uh, when, when I was a child, you might encounter a person rarely every now and then uh, that would, would throw some of this stuff out. Now, I'm seeing it just all over the place. But that is not to say that there are not opportunities to share Christ and that we just turn our back on these people and leave them in this condition. Evangelist says, I need to at least give them the opportunity, and it's going to take some extra work and effort to do that, and, and we should be willing to engage in that. But also realize that when someone concedes, number one, I believe in God, when our conversation starts off right there, what do you have now? I don't know who their God is. They just make the statement, well, I believe in God. You don't need to tell me, talk to me about religion because I believe in God. Do we? No, you see, they didn't define God. They just said, I believe in God. And because I'm the one that's communicating to them, I get to define God to them. Because their claim is that you don't need to talk to me because I already believe in God. And the assumption is I'm believing the same God as you, so you don't need to talk to me. So I just take that assumption and let them live with it. I don't need to define God to them. I need to define who they are again. Because they've already associated with my God. Because they didn't say, I follow a different God than you. That is not what they said. Because I confront them about, well, where's your relationship with God? What is your condition of, uh, how would you describe your relationship with God? I might start off with a question like that. Uh, and they say, well, I believe in God. Well, okay. I, we're not going to define him because they've given me God for this conversation. Now I can go right to, well, here's what God says. Here's what God says. God says that even the demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. Oh, I don't believe in Satan. I said, well, you believe in God. You've got to give me Satan, too, because God says that Satan exists. You see, everything from that on is God says, God says, God says. And when they give you this, they almost, they have not thought, even if they haven't thought carefully about who God is and define him, you want to define God as the creator as the one eternal being. You want to do all that. They've not done all that. And, it's, and, and they don't need to do all that yet. Okay? And so I have had many conversations start off with that, oh, I believe in God. Usually right after they found, oh, you're a pastor? I believe in God. And I go, oh, well. So does, so does, so does. And I go, so what does that mean to you? Well, not who God is, but what does it mean to believe in him? So who is God to you? What, what is your relationship with him? What's it like? Well, I believe in him. And I was like, okay, what has he had to tell you lately? What kind of conversation you had with him? And so we're going right into God's word once they give you. Now, if they say, I believe in Allah, now you've got a little challenge. 
right? Not insurmountable, by the way. Um, you really just have to go back to Abraham. That's all you have to do. Just go back to Abraham, because that's where our commonality is, still stands with Islam. And then you can jump right to Jesus, because every Muslim believes in Jesus. They just don't believe Jesus is God. And that's not even hard to prove with the Quran. Yes. And, and frankly, most people that are going to make that declaration, I believe in God, are going to grant you the Bible too. Because they just, most people say that thoughtlessly as the way to, put, to, to just settle the question. That settles it in their mind. I believe in God, so therefore we don't have to have any further conversation. Uh, not realizing that, that that's, they've just given me huge things. Now, I've had people in the midst of the conversation take that back. That guy on the plane from Florida to here that went to Mexico uh, Tech, and uh, he, he kind of, by the time the end of our conversation, he took back, I guess I don't believe in this, this, this. I mean, he gave those, he conceded all that to me at the front end of the conversation. By the end of the conversation, he retracted his statement. And that's good, because now he's never thought, oh, well, if I believe this, then this, then this, and he's dealing with the irrationality of saying, I believe this, but I don't believe the rest. And um, if God is, if you believe in God now, you have a divine being that has authority, right? You have a divine being that, um, whether you believe in evolution or six-day creation, you still believe that the origin is God, because somehow God is over and above that, or outside of that, or controlling that, and now you have, uh, well, do you care what God says? Do you care about having a relationship with God, about knowing what he wants, what, he, what does he want from you? What do you suppose God wants from us? Just to believe in him and live however you please? Um, and so we want to go from there. Yes? Okay, if it's moral stories, it's moral stories, right? They're still right. They don't have to concede to me the inerrancy of Scripture and the, and the whole... They don't have to concede all, all, our entire doctrinal statement on the Bible. Even if you call them moral stories, what does it mean that they're a moral story? They're teaching you right from wrong. And that's what I need. Okay? So what is the moral story behind the fall of man? What's the moral story behind... The, the flood. What's the moral story behind the Ten Commandments? What's the moral stories there? Okay, so what I'm saying is, is we, we really, um, if they give us God, that's huge. Most people will do that, but don't be surprised if down the road they realize that's a mistake and try to backtrack behind that. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that in the area called apologetics which is the defense of the existence of God and defense of our salvation, of our, of our belief system. And, but recognize that most people, when they say, I believe in God, that is a parroted statement they haven't given any thought to that is generally because somewhere in their history, whether it's parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, there was some religious activity and they feel some obligation to uh, parrot that statement, but without any real belief in that. They say they believe in God, but there's no evidence of it, and they haven't really thought about that. 
because no one wants to think about spiritual realities. Right? Yes? Normally, if they are committed to Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, one of the cults, um, they will not make that statement. They will not say, I believe in God. They will make it something much more specific, uh, something much more defined in terms of, well, I believe this about. They'll not typically come forward and just say, unless they are a nominal Mormon or nominal Jehovah's Witness. There are nominal them, just like there's nominal Christians and nominal Muslims. Name only. Well, my parents were, so I am. Um, but uh, normally, if they are engaged, if they are active, they are not usually, they're going to say something much more specific. Oh, I I, we believe kind of the same. They'll use that kind of terminology. Oh, we're kind of the same, you know, uh, we, we Mormons, and, and we're just another Christian denomination. They really pushed hard 25 years ago to present themselves as not a cult, but a denomination of Christianity. Really hard. Uh, 25, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Really hard. And, and I still, when they come to my door, I still say, well, when I go to the Christian bookstore, you're in the cult section. Does that bother you? And that really disturbs them. Uh, so anyway, um, normally when you encounter those people, they are going to give a different kind of answer. Uh, usually it's your nominal Catholics who say, I believe in God. And that means that they probably go once or twice uh, with their family, and they have some kind of obligations there that they feel. Um, and... And, and that's an important thing. So that is often granted, um, but there you will encounter, we need to be prepared to recognize that they don't mean anything by that because they haven't given any thought to that. They blurt that statement out trying to divert the conversation from something they know nothing about and have thought nothing over. And that's the condition of our world. They do not want to think about those things. And so you entertain them and drug them into a mental oblivion where they simply don't think critically about who they are, what life is about, what, and, and, it, and, and it's a nihilism that is being perpetrated on an entire generation that you don't believe in anything. And they'll blurt that out without thinking, and I think, and, and that is the real attack on all of this, is the attack on their minds, on their capacity to think, and that's why wherever Christianity has gone successfully, strong education has gone with it, because the Christian mind must be a well-educated mind, has to be, okay? And where the gospel is going to go best is where there's good education. To not to understand, even in oriental circumstances, and that I think is what is penetrating so many Muslims, is, it's, is they're realizing because of their uh, access through the internet, believe it or not, to what's out there beyond what they have been told. Um, because most of those societies don't want truth to penetrate and that's why you just have a violent response because they don't, they cannot engage with Christianity, with this scriptures. They cannot engage it successfully. They cannot counter the scriptures successfully. So 
If you can't counter it successfully, what do you do? You, you yell louder. Okay, that's the early manifestation of what? Violence. Yelling is the early manifestation of violence. I won't let you speak, so I'm going to over, I'm going to yell louder so no one can hear what you say. Sound familiar? I go on today anywhere? Okay. We can't have rational discourse because I'll lose that because I have no rationality behind my belief system. And therefore, I'm going to just yell louder. And that is the precursor, that is the first step of violence. And then it's going to be, I'm going to, you know, and it goes and it just builds. Well, in Muslim circles, uh, there's a lot of violence right now. And in Hindu circles now, Hinduism, for them to be violent is absurd. It's completely against their belief system. Why are they becoming violent in places like India? Because they're losing the argument to Christianity. Because Christianity is super rational. And that's why wherever Christianity goes, we are free to educate, and we want you to, and we're more than happy to engage you with other religions. Go ahead, study them all. Because they're all foolishness. The only one that really makes sense of our world and the condition of man and the, and, and the principles that God has put in our hearts and our consciences is God's word. And Paul himself, when he was Saul, he could not resist Stephen. So what do you do when you can't resist the argument? You kill the argument, right? You kill the guy giving it. That's what Saul did. It says it repeatedly in the text that no one could resist the, the, the presentation of, of Stephen's uh, in apologetics, essentially. They couldn't resist his, his reasoning. And so they killed him. And, and realized that we are going against a tide that wants to people in the dark. When we talk about being a light in a dark place, realize that many of those people are in the dark because they have never had any light around them. They are passively in the dark, which means they've never been encountered. Even in a Christian culture like we have, they have ne it has never crossed their mind to give a second thought to these things. And that's what we want to engage. That's where we want to and that's going to take us into a, really a different approach where we want to um, draw them into thoughtfulness. And that's really hard work. Um, and the process isn't by teaching. Jesus Christ shows us, I think, and we're going to use him as an example, of a great example of this. It's not, you might say, well, the way to fix ignorance is by teaching. No. The way to fix ignorance is by questioning. Asking people questions. Because what does that do to them? Force them to think. Ask them the questions that they've never asked themselves. Never even thought to ask themselves. No one's ever asked me that question. Okay, so when I sit down, someone, I say, okay, um, and I ask them a question, they're there, <laughs> you can see the... They start to think, I'm like, oh, good, they're thinking. And I'll give them plenty of time to think, maybe even days. 
And I'll come back and say, what, do you, what, what have you come up with? You, you never gave me an answer to my question. We beat around the bush, but you never gave me an answer. You thought about it? And I'll keep asking the same questions. That is how you crack the door to a mind that's been in the dark and has not ever been challenged to think. I can sit here and try to download. You can't just download information into them and think that's, that's how you crack open a, a mind that is entertained into oblivion um, or drugged into oblivion. No, you ask questions and get them to, that are important questions. They might not even realize the importance of it. And Jesus Christ does this. Uh, he models this so well for us. Um, in scripture when he asks questions. And from the whole spectrum, whether it's the Pharisees and priests, the, sad, the religious leaders, all the way down to the Samaritan woman at the well, in the whole spectrum, in the disciples in between somewhere, he engages them by questions. And, um, and we need to be, have that kind of approach because we're trying to open their minds to ask questions and thoughts that they really haven't engaged in at all and the world is trying to stop them more and more actively trying to stop them from asking those questions not just subtly blatantly doing it okay but i just wanted you to see that this is what we need to study so we're this we're going to break this down and each week we're going to after and we're going to tackle uh, one of these, and, and not necessarily each one of these, but the categories these represent. Okay, we're going to break down and study these. How do we get this information across to people in that condition of, well, I believe in God, uh, and I haven't given any thought to anything else, and, and uh, okay, and we're going to try to see how we can engage them, and sometimes do some radical things. Okay, let's have our prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this night and the opportunity to consider, while we haven't necessarily opened our Bibles, Lord, we have certainly focused our meditation upon your truth and what we know of it, what we have been taught over the years. And Lord, our prayer is that you might guide us because we know that there are so many around us that are so captivated, their minds are captivated by the God of this age who just wants them to blindly wander into an oblivion of eternal flame. And Lord, uh, put upon us the heart and the burden to uh, give them a glimmer of hope, to give them uh, an escape route from the damage and the destruction that Satan wants for all men. We know that he hates us, has from the beginning, from our very creation. He is our enemy. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, help us enter into his camp and rescue those who are perishing uh, in, in their darkness. And Lord, you might give us wisdom and confidence in that. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the discussion. Not so much going to happen next week.